Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone viewing from around the world. And welcome back to Conversations That Matter with Sonia Robinson, where we educate, inform, and uplift people. Where we want the show to show you or be able to provide you with a different perspective to drive different results. Now, before we get started, if you could do three things for me. One, if you could put in the feed where you're watching from. Two, as you have questions, put those in the feed as well and we'll address your questions as we go along. And then finally, share the video. Now I say share the video because you're not doing it for me or for any of our guests today. You're sharing the video to be able to inspire someone, to be able to educate someone, to be able to allow people to get informed. Now they may not be able to be here today, but they can catch it on the replay. So share the video. Now, before we get started, there's another couple, a couple other things I would like to say. My co-host for today is Soyam Shaw. So I'll bring her out very soon and you will remember her once you see her because I've got a takeaway from, from, from Soyam that I wanna share with you. But at the same time, I wanna say congratulations to Kamala Harris. She made history today by being the first female vice president. So this show today is a very much important show today. It's time we reset. We need to reset. Cause you know that old saying, once upon a time, people said little girls were made of sugar and spice and everything nice. But what we learned was that too much sugar could be toxic. Life is full of ups and downs. And while we can't prevent the downs, how can we provide the right tools to strengthen girls' sense of self-worth early on in a way that will insulate their future for later? Teaching our daughters that they belong in a world that often fills them with oppositional messages can be tough, so empowering them is the key. Celebrating their sense of belonging is one of our most important jobs as a parent. We know that when a girl realizes her rights, she can be an agent of change, both for herself and for her community and country. So with that being said, we wanna jump right into the show today. So I'm going to bring out my special co-host, Soyam Shaw. And what impresses me about Soyam, when you look at Soyam, I'm telling you, I thought Soyam was in her teens. But later on, I found out she's a little older than in her teens. But what impressed me with Soyam from my very first encounter with her, the very first show, I was reading through her bio and I happened to ask her how old she was when she started doing humanitarian work. And Soyam, what did you tell her? Three. three years old, and I'm telling you, three years old stuck with me because her parents brought her up right because you start kids from the ground up. And that's what's impressed me so with her. I mean, she was part of Special Olympics. She's doing special things for kids over in Nairobi today in Kenya. You know, she's working with one of my friends on a project where they're they're helping the young girls there. Soyam, give us a two minute spill on that real quick, on Thrive. Yes, it's a very exciting project. And it's all about empowering young women, young girls 
who cannot afford sanitary towels and sanitary wear. So we have partnered up with Tracy Ward and um, basically for $20, you can sponsor a girl for her whole life. And in $20, we get her a year supply of sanitary towels. We get her two sets of underwears, a menstrual cup, a Thrive mask, um, a Thrive band. We get them a leaflet on how to, to use the materials. We get them a hair comb and we get them Vaseline or petroleum jelly. And we get them care packs because what happens in Kenya and in other parts of Africa, there is only less than a dollar, less than a dollar a day that they earn. And in that, would they buy food or would they buy sanitary towels? In the process, they use cow dung, a dried cow dung or leaves or newspapers in order in, it, it, as a substitute for sanitary towels. So it's an amazing initiative and um, we've so far started the project and we've already started helping girls around and helping save their lives because they also miss one month of school every year due to this problem. So, so again, that's right. That's empowering girls and helping them with their self-worth to understand you know, for them to learn about themselves and, and different things and showing them responsibility and building character. So that's an initiative that she's working on as well. So again, Soyam Shah, you're going to hear that name in the future. And Soyam Shah is going to be the host of Conversations That Matter, Nairobi. So Soyam, in order for us to jump right into our show today, as I bring out the ladies, can you go ahead and introduce and give a little background about them and we'll jump right into the program because I'm telling you, this day is a special historic day and we're having some other females to share this with us and to tell us about what they feel about empowering women, how they've gone about it and how they've empowered kids and so on and so forth. So let's get started, I'm excited. So Me too. our first guest. Yes. So our first guest is one of our wonder women. We're gonna call them wonder women today. And our first wonder woman hails from the great city of Mumbai, India. Ruchita is a graduate in human resource management, an esthetician from Zurich, an NLP practitioner, she is a train the trainer, a certified IE trainer, corporate trainer, facilitator, and motivator. She joined the Lions Club of Bombay Hilltops. She's a recipient of the 2016 Women of Worthiness, which is an award for women achievers across India. She has joined the national movement, Global Parley, which is empowering villages. And Ruchita is embarking upon a mission to transform her city, Mumbai. By profession, she's a specialist in learning and development programs at the Lions Clubs International. Ruchita strongly emphasizes on two things. In life, you don't get a second chance to create the first impression. And life does not happen to you. It responds to you. 
We're so grateful to have our Wonder Woman, Ruchita from Mumbai here with us today. Would you like to say something real quick, Ruchita? Thank you for having me on the show and I am excited too to be sharing things that happen to the women in India. Let's empower them. Thank you, thank you. Our next Wonder Woman hails from the great windy city of Chicago, Illinois. Natalie is a non-profit professional managing the global advocacy efforts of the Lions Clubs International, which is the world's largest service club organization. Additionally, she is a charter member and past club president of the Chicago Windy Cities Lions Clubs in Chicago, Illinois. She's an active volunteer and advocate in her community who has been recognized for her efforts, most recently receiving the Melvin Jones Fellowship Award. Natalie continues to strive for change and to uplift those in need. Natalie is full of life and lives for every moment with pure happiness. Her motto is, you don't always have to be strong. Sometimes you just need to scream or have a good cry. But you always, always, always need to pull yourself together and go back to be the beautiful soul you are meant to be. We welcome our Wonder Woman, Natalie, to our platform today. Thank you so much, Soyam, Sonia, Ruchita. I am very honored to be here today and I'm humbled um, among you dynamic women and empowered women and I look forward to our conversation. Thank you. Thank you. And our last Wonder Woman for this evening hails from the great country that I come from, Nairobi, Kenya. Susan has a passion to serve humanity. She has been a social worker all her life. She has given her life to help the mentally and physically challenged in Kenya. She started off her journey as a volunteer coach and an office administrator to the Special Olympics of Kenya. She then progressed to, the, to be the sports manager. Soon after that, she embarked on her journey as a national director and is now the, and is now the manager, the Global Development and Government Relations Special Olympics for the African region. She has been awarded the I Change Nations Women Value, Women Add Value Recognition Award. She has also been awarded the ICN Champion Leadership Award. She's Alumni American with Disabilities Inclusive Education Fellowship, Alumni Mashav Israeli Agency for International Development Corporation. Susan's values are based on Maya Angelou's wise words. Her favorite quote is, I would like to be known as an intelligent woman, a courageous woman, a woman 
a loving woman, a woman who teaches by being. Welcome, Susan, our Wonder Woman, to our platform today. Thank you. Thank you, Siam. I'm really Good honored to, you, to be here. Sonia. Thank you, Siam. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, everybody. I'm really honored to be here today to join great women and to see how we can add value to the empowerment of women. I'm honored to represent the daughters of Africa, Kenya, and the rest of Africa. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. So again, as I had indicated, this is such a special day. I'm all smiles right now. I'm all smiles. This is so special. And I am so excited that you could join us today, Soyam and I both. So with that being said, I can hardly wait to get into these questions because I can hardly wait for your responses. So Rachita, I'm going to start off with you. What are the challenges that daughters in India generally face in a closed society? Oh, there are many. Uh, right from birth, she needs to actually fight for her existence because many a times, if the parents come to know that they have a girl child, they don't want to have her. So right from birth, they have this challenge of fighting for existence. Then there is a difference in the way that they are brought up. They are not brought up equally. The boys and the girls are raised very differently. When they grow a little, they are judged. They are judged by the way they dress, they play, they behave. So there is challenge at every step for a girl child. Even the institution of marriage, it is so pro-men that the girl needs to change her house, her name, her personality, the way that she wants to live a life. She needs to give up everything and she's expected to, to lead a life that others think and design for her. But fortunately, things are changing now. So yes, there is a challenge at every step from existence, to education, to bringing up, to being. Um, I, I, I was somewhat shocked when you, when you kind of laid that out. I mean, I'm assuming that existence is only in India. I don't know if anybody else faces that, but when you said that, you know, from the way she dresses to the way she behaves to when she gets married, I mean, why, why do you think that is? That's the way the society is. That's the way that they have, the men have decided the women will live. So earlier, uh, in earlier times, it was actually a matriarchal family in India. So the head of the house, uh, the, the, the boy would get married and go to the girl's house to live with. Uh, the girl was entitled to uh, to the family. She was the family heir, but things changed. Th things changed, and it became so patriarchal. And I think the men were scared that the women will again take over. So mm -hmm. they they decided probably to you know subject and and the reason why the girl child is not wanted in the house is the parents need to pay kind of a huge uh, dowry when they get her married. So it's like a huge expense, a huge burden that they don't want to have. Whereas if it's a boy, they will raise a boy to earn and they feel that 
an earning boy is going to take care of their old age, whereas mm. there is no guarantee to that. So mm. that's the way. So, I mean, do you see any changes or, I mean, it's still that way today? No, things are changing. Things are changing, but the girls have to fight. They really have to, uh, you know, raise their voice. And unfortunately, the mother who is ingrained with the way that she was brought up, um, not all the mothers are in support for that kind of you know, the way they want to raise their girl child or they want to let the girl child have the kind of liberties that her son would have. So, uh, but still, I'm so glad that the girls are putting down their foot and they are proving that worth and climbing, uh, you know, breaking these bonds of society, what have been made. And I would, through this, if I can, urge all the women who are watching to help support another woman, another girl, to come out of this bondage and lead a life that they want. Everyone has only one life. So I think it should be lived, although being mindful of the people around you, lovingly, caringly, but still, you should have the say to the life that you want to lead. There yeah. shouldn't be others who are programming your life. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm glad to see that turnaround because when you started, I'm like, oh, wow. But I'm glad. So do you have any girls and boys or what do you have? Do you have kids? I have I have a son and mm -hmm. I, I have raised my son just as I would have raised my daughter. My son can cook. My son is respectful towards a, he's married now. So mm -hmm. I'm I'm very happy to see when he is sharing the, the chores of the house, when he's cooking. It's not common for men in India to do that. So raising, I believe that raising a society to a level where women are respected, you need to raise a son to respect the women in the society to yes. coexist. Yes, yes. Okay. So now do they have kids yet? Not yet. Not okay. yet. <laughs> Do you think he'll follow suit or, I mean, will he go back to? I don't think they would have kids. I think they would want to raise dogs. <laughs> they are animal lovers. <laughs> That's a lot easier. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you because, I mean, that, that opened my eyes. Um, Natalie, here's a question from you or for you. From what we have seen in American movies, daughters generally get a lot of empowerment from an early age. What are your thoughts on this? This, Sonia, is a very interesting question. Um, I thought a lot about it, and I know that it looks that way when you watch the movies that America produces. However, we all know that movies are not always based on history or fact. They're narrative forms of entertainment consisting of people, places, or events that can be imaginary. You know, they may portray American girls as receiving empowerment, but that's not always the case. And it's a far cry from reality. You know, just like everywhere in the world, I think there's many internal and external factors that will um, show if about the empowerment. Economic status, their geographic locations, the background, their beliefs, and their family unit. Um, women and girls still face inequalities today in the United States, even though the movies may look like they're being immensely empowered. For example, in 2020, 
women earn 80, 81 cents to every dollar that a man earns. And this has been a struggle since the beginning of time, it feels like. Um, you know, women and girls are not encouraged sometimes to do jobs um, or roles out of the family's expectations. Um, maybe they want to be a firefighter, but the firefighter, you know, gender label is for a male and maybe a girl wants to do that. You know, so there's a lot of controversy around it. And I think it really comes from the family that you are raised in and the support system that you have growing up. Um, and on a positive note, the media in the United States talks about girl power and girl power definitely does exist and it's becoming um, more of the norm. And I think women and girls are becoming more empowered. Um, and I think the solution to all of this is advocacy efforts around this movement. And we have to continue, we have to fight and we have to create awareness around the importance of empowering the daughters of our nations. Yes, yes. I, um, I often remember, you know, when I was raising my daughter when she was um, young and, um, and we all know when we go to the beauty salon to get our hair fixed, we all know, you know, the prices that we pay for that. And my daughter used to go get her hair done like it. I'm just going to throw a, a time out at 10 o'clock and by 11 o'clock, she'd be out playing football with the, with the guys. Mm -hmm. and some of the, the mothers in the neighborhood would be, well, you need to come on in because, you know, your mom just paid for you to get your hair done. And yeah. I'm like, no, let her do, let her, let her play, let her play. Mm -hmm. Because my thing is I want her to be her. I want her to um, not think because she's a girl, there's certain things that she can't do in life. Exactly. So though that's how I raised my kids. It's like, mm -hmm. mm -mm, I'm not going to hold them back from doing anything that they want to do. And I think that's how we have to be. And that's how I was raised. Mm -hmm. So I am the oldest of three siblings, myself, my sister, and my brother. And I was the firstborn. So I know how to play softball. I know how to play baseball. My dad taught me that from a very young age and it, it continued. Mm -hmm. I can do anything that I put my mind to and that's thanks to my mom and dad. So. Yes, yes. Yeah. So do you have anything that you wanna add to either one of them? You were so quiet, I just kinda. No, I'm just awed by listening to them. <laughs> okay. To add. Um, Susan, you have been a champion for Special Olympics for many years. Can you share with us some of the experiences and challenges persons with disabilities faces in Kenya? Yeah, um, in, in intellectual disabilities, especially in, in the African context and in Kenya in particular, um, still people don't really understand what it is. Um, like in most of our cultures, uh, when a mother gives birth to a child who has intellectual disabilities, um, sometimes it's seen as a curse, sometimes it's seen as a bad omen. And it's so bad such that uh, in some families, the father will even leave the family and blame the mother for bringing up a child who has intellectual disabilities or the mother would also be treated as an outcast by the family. So it's, it, there's a lot of myths around that. And what the myths have done is that um, children with intellectual disabilities will not start getting um, the correct intervention at an early age because people are trying to find solution in other places. Some will go to will say it's witchcraft, so they'll try to see how they can uh, cure the witchcraft. 
some will go to prayers because they will they'll be told their, chi their children are possessed by demons, all those things. So they waste a lot of time before the child starts getting the correct intervention. And, and also, because of that, uh, you will find in the community um, persons with intellectual disabilities and uh, to an extent their families live in isolation because nobody wants to get uh, in, uh, in close to them. It's like intellectual disability is contagious. So actually in some places you'll find, even at a young age, children are, are asked by their parents not to play or to visit such and such a family because they have a child with intellectual disability. So they grow up in isolation. Um, actually this year, I think a few, two or three months ago, we woke up to the very bad news of um, two parents who, murdered their child with intellectual disabilities. There are a lot of questions about that. Probably it's the pressure, uh, maybe the isolation they felt, maybe it's because they thought it was a castle. So it's, it's that, uh, it could it can be that bad. And and also because of that, um, of, the, of the misunderstanding or not having adequate information of what is intellectual disabilities, you'll also find even in disability mainstreaming, you'll still find there are very few programs that target um, persons with intellectual disabilities, all the way from education, health, social, economic empowerment. So they are left behind most of the time. And this means that the quality of their life, it's like it goes becoming worse and worse from birth to adulthood. And when you think about, when you, we speak about gender and you think about that girl who is born with intellectual disabilities, she has to live her life struggling with more than multiple vulnerabilities because she has to deal with the gender-related vulnerabilities and she also has to deal with um, disability-related vulnerabilities. And, and for example, like uh, the project that Soyami is carrying up around empowering girls in Nairobi, you will find even um, a girl with intellectual disabilities, probably she doesn't even know how to manage her periods. She doesn't know even what to do when she gets her period. So it's 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 quite a struggle, but um, things are starting to change. So when you say things are, are starting to change, I mean, as what's been put in place to help them and how is it changing? Um, I think where we are seeing some light and a lot of work happening, it's in the education sector because at least uh, children with uh, intellectual disabilities can access uh, free and compulsory primary education. And with that, uh, we, I normally look at it as education as, um, yes, it's a right, but I also look it, at it as a, an enabler of other rights. Because if this child is not in school, if they are maybe hidden at home or they're still in the community, chances are they're not getting any other service. So when we see some light in the education sector, we can we can at, at least have some confidence that this, this particular child will be able to get to access other services. Then also like what we do in Special Olympics through sports, we are working with the health care service providers. We have a very good partnership with, uh, Soyam will allow me to say this, with Lions, uh, site first hospital where they are getting access to healthcare. So we are also lobbying so much and advocating through the government and many other organizations are also coming around and parents are also getting empowered to start defending and speaking on behalf of their children. So it's not as dim as it used to be a while ago. Okay, so I just, a question. 
So when we talk about this kids born, you know, with with um, their situations, whatever it may be, and when you spoke of witchcraft and all these different things that people think of when these kids are born like this, um, one of the things that comes to my mind is what would make them think that you know they they were demonic or whatever it is, other than you know that's just the way that. God brought them here into this earth. I mean, it's not like a parent did this, you know, on their own. So, I mean, I just, it's difficult for me, I guess, to understand, well, if they were born this way, they were born this way for a reason. And God intended for them to be this way. So mm -hmm. when you think that way, and then people see them as, you know, as this, how, do, how does that, you know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> it's just not connecting for me. Yeah, I think it depends with the cultural background because in, in our, most of our cultures, um, there was a reason for everything. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and uh, initially the culture, probably they taught that if you have, a, you give birth to a child with disabilities, is probably the gods who are hungry with you. You did not, you did not observe some, you know, practices or taboo, and that's why many times it's the mother who carries that burden because, like all these cultural views and myths, they they are relegated to the mother most mm -hmm. of the time. So, and then as as we even as we move from our cultural practices to to Christianity, there's also that brand of religion where this child is possessed and as i mentioned earlier all these things come around because we have very little or uh, very inadequate information explaining uh okay. for example what what causes intellectual disabilities or any form of disability for that matter so because there's no that there isn't enough information around the people in the public with the public they will tend to to go back to their cultural beliefs because that that maybe that's where they find comfort in such an explanation. So there there is that need of educating. Actually, personally, I, I usually say for us for us to achieve full inclusion, disabilities has to be taught as a common unit in school. Anybody, whatever you're studying, you must be taught something about disability. That's the only way we can start changing the the notions and the perceptions people have. Okay, okay, uh, because I know. Here, sometimes depending on the mindset of people, when you have a child that has a disability, the first thing they'll do is look at the mom. You know, was she on drugs or did she do this or did she do that? So that's why I wanted to, you know, have you bring out a little bit more detail to see if it's that way, you know, in, in Kenya. But yeah, that's kind of how people will look at things here in the United States. What was she doing in order to have a child that has a disability? If I could make one comment on that, um, you know, to me, I think educating children in schools is very important, but additionally, creating the awareness through our volunteer organizations, civil society, United Nations groups, and really letting the public know about social inclusion and about how important it is to treat mm -hmm. everyone equally. So I think it's twofold, really, with educating the children, mm -hmm. but also educating the parents and the rest of the world. So yeah. I just wanted to... Yes, yeah. Yes. If I may add like an Indian scenario to this, 
the the common public in the earlier days they were they were not uh, educated so the only way to to help them uh, to a way of life was religion and the people who like they say to be owning the religion the upper class as they say the learned class would use this religion uh, as a fear to control the other class and all these things were brought up into the mind of people oh this is a curse on your family of god because you didn't do this rituals because you didn't do the way that mm -hmm. we guided you to so i can totally uh, suzanne agree with the thing and i can empathize what the people there would be going through because this was an era in india where education was not there people did not know science people would not accept science because they were in the fear of religion and that's how this curse thing would come about if you have a disability in a child. Mm, okay, okay. Um, Susan, there's a follow-up question to what I just asked you. What are some obstacles to look out for as we care for daughters with challenges? I think the first obstacle, even before we go into putting uh, programs and interventions, the first obstacle is the attitude because the attitude uh, 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 informs the mindset and uh, the mindset will inform the action. So we still have to, we actually we are still struggling with negative attitudes towards persons with intellect, and especially girls with intellectual disabilities. Mm -hmm. um, especially in the area of sexual and reproductive health, first of all, the, the, there is no targeted education to them because um, they they think maybe they they won't understand they won't comprehend they, or the biggest one is people have that attitude that um, persons with disabilities are asexual so they don't need this they don't need any information they don't need any service and it's it's very sad because they end up especially the girls they end up to be among the you know the statistics of the people who endure. Uh, sexual abuse and they suffer in silence. Um, just a study that was conducted uh, and then one thing we struggle with in the African region and in Kenya is also lack of data. So you cannot actually put your, you know, your argument in terms of data because we, that's a place that where we don't have um, a lot of intervention put in. However, some there's a study that was done in Nairobi a few years ago, two or three years ago, and it was said that 57% of girls with intellectual disabilities have endured a form of uh, emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. And rape was the, you know, the leading uh, kind of abuse they, they experienced. But the saddest of this is that these things are done and perpetrated by people who are around them probably people they know, maybe they are, they are maybe part of their families, their neighbors, people they trust. So for a girl, it can be very, very challenging because even probably maybe the person who's supposed to protect her is the person who's taking advantage of her. And all this is because of the negative attitudes. Um, and then the, the attitudes, as I, I mentioned, inform actions. We have very, very limited programs that target those with intellectual disabilities. And you will find even in a situation where we've advanced in disability mainstreaming as a country, you will still find the population of those with intellectual disabilities benefiting from those programs are very few. So 
sometimes I tend to feel like the future for a girl born with intellectual disabilities is almost blink because there's, there's not much given to empower her. And that's why we, we try as much as possible to, to bring them out, to create awareness, to involve their families, caregivers, and community so that we can start showing that there's ability, not the disability. And once we show and celebrate that ability, then now the community and the family and the people around them start changing their mindsets. Mm, that's good, that's good. Natalie, I saw you shaking your head. <laughs> but, um, and that's the only way I, I personally see that you can, uh, that girls with disabilities can overcome that is by bringing them out and, and putting them around positive people. And maybe if you have a mentor that you put them with, you know, some, some, some woman or a lady or a female that um, where they are, in leadership or something as a role model to help them or give them the incentive to want to do better. So yeah, that I'm glad to hear that you are putting things in place in order to power empower girls and to help them learn and to get to where they need to be in life. That's great. That's great. Um, Soyam, do you have anything before you move on to the next round? Well, personally, I am just awed by these responses. Mm -hmm. And to hear the diversity from India, Kenya, USA, and all the different participants, we all have very similar, we all have like challenges that are so different, but they're so similar in so many different ways, but handled so differently. And from where I come from, it's so, it's just a new perspective to even understand or realize how deep this conversation is and um, personally seeing being working with Susan I can only assure you that she has been doing tremendous work to empower these women all the ladies here have been doing a great job and I would also like to encourage our viewers you know join the conversation this is for you please write in the comment box your views on this subject and we would like to hear from you too yes yes and and the other thing is even though we're all from different parts of the world, we all have the same issues. Yeah. We all have the same issues. So, you know, just to hear that, just to hear the dialogue and the different things that, you know, you may be doing in Kenya, you know, the same thing that's going on over here. So although we're all from different parts of the world, just like I said, we all have the same issues. So just think if we were to work together and talk amongst each other, amongst each other and have these conversations, how this would benefit each and every one of us. You know, we could just, I could be having a conversation with Susan. Hey, Susan, did you think about trying this with, you know, within your program? And she could say, yeah, or I didn't think of that. So, you know, here's another avenue where she now has someone over in the U.S. that she could get information from. Or she said there's not much data or studies that are going on. Okay, now you know someone over in the US. Well, hey, Fanny, can you help me with this? Is there some information that you could pull together, you know, to send me so I can go through and do see what I could do differently? So, you know, I just I love this, I love this, you know, this this panelist discussion here. I just love it. But okay, so I <laughs> Ruchita, I have a question for you. As a mother. How does empowering your children enable them to stand up on their own as they embark on adulthood? 
I believe that a structure is as strong as its foundation is. So from the childhood, if you can um, make them believe themselves in the, and in their abilities, I think it makes a huge difference when they grow up, what their character of being would be. So for sure, the way that you bring up a child, uh, the, are you encouraging the child? Are you uh, really um, you know, giving weight to what a child contributes or thinks or says? Are you giving him a, a good ear when uh, he tries to communicate to you? All these things would definitely shape up. So the way that you bring up your child to be uh, uh, fearless, to express himself or herself, uh, to believe in the things and, and to make the child understand it's okay to make mistakes, but it's important to learn from them. So if these are things, these are the values that are uh, imbibed in a child right from when he is trying to build up his uh, experiences in life. And over and over, when you re-emphasize these ideas, the way they think about themselves, it then becomes like a habit for them. And so success becomes a habit for them when they grow up. So for sure, it's very important uh, that you, the way that you bring up and what you imbibe in your child. You mentioned fearless. I think that is the most important. It's a learning force that bringing up your child in a good environment with all good values will definitely yield louder results and better habits. Thank you for sharing that with us, Ruchita. Natalie, yes. I have a question for you. Okay. Share with us a few areas that go unnoticed that parents do not worry about that they should be a cause for concern when empowering our daughters today so so this is another really good question there can be multiple answers um, but in my opinion i feel that you know daughters often struggle with body issues and a lack of self-confidence and that may go unnoticed because of course they're not going to want to talk about it uh, second issue, I think, would be talking to children about drugs and alcohol. How do you handle when they're exposed to it? How do they handle if they're approached by it? And then lastly, and it kind of goes with the, you know, the exposure to the drugs and alcohol would be bullying. Um, I don't think these are many conversations that parents are having with their children. Um, and I think they should. Um, parents need to be more available and open for conversations, even those hard ones that the parents don't want to talk about and the kids definitely don't want to answer. Um, they should ask them questions about, you know, how was your day? Start the dialogue and just say, you know, how was your day? Who, who was your friends today? Who did you talk to today? And always remind that child that they are beautiful and smart and they can do anything they put their mind to. Um, to round out my thought here, um, I heard a great quote the other day that kind of applies to this. Parents can't raise their kids how they were raised because they were raised in a world that no longer exists. And it was funny because I've scrolled Facebook and this was two days ago and you had sent this question and I said, wow, that fits perfectly with this answer. Um, and I think it holds true. So it's almost like the parents and the child and the caregivers are working towards 
a world that doesn't exist and they have to figure out how to empower their daughters. So I think that was a really important question to ask. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for sharing that. And I have something to say about that. I was gonna say that, have you, have you ever heard, thought or said any of like some of the following phrases? I don't want to be difficult and cause problems. Or sometimes I don't speak up when I don't want to do something because I'm always scared of what people think. Or do I get resentful and sell myself by out by taking care of other people's needs instead of listening to my own? Is it that women have lost a voice? And I feel like that the young women today are growing up in a culture in which people may be uncomfortable with women expressing themselves. And I believe that you've raised some amazing points for conversation. Thank you yeah, so much for sharing. Of course. So, you know, those three things that you just said, I don't say, I don't think. I used to when I was younger. I know, Soyam, you don't either. Um, but the one that kind of really holds true to me is like worrying about other needs before my own. And it, it, it's a hard thing to say, I want to be selfish. Um, and you have to do it because you have to worry about your number one and that's you. So I really hope that daughters and women and girls are um, not afraid to speak up because they are the future and they are the world. So, I mean, it's really important that we take care of ourselves. Sonia, any thoughts on this? Um, I'll give my thoughts at the end. Go ahead. <laughs> and I know Marla Harris has also proven to us something that you just said. Susan, I have a question for you. Where, where parents do not take responsibility for their children, the caretakers play a critical role in empowering them. What are your views on this? Um, first of all, I would like to say, so I am, if it's possible, parents should be able to take care of their children, whatever uh, the case, if it's possible. Uh, because one of the things, uh, if a child grows up without a, a parent, one of the parents or both, um, of course, there's, there's a void probably that is very difficult to fill and that can affect even their adulthood. However, where it's not possible to have the parents take care of their children, I think the caregivers and the guardians who are given that responsibility, they should be available, you know, fully available, not only providing materially, but stepping in as the as the, the parents and guide those children. And, you know, as, as Ruchita said, the, the, the strength of a structure is found in its foundation. So these caretakers should also step in and provide the parental guidance that is required. In initially, I, I, when I saw that question, I was thinking a couple of years ago in Africa, that would have been easy because it, it took the whole community, the whole village to raise one child. But with the, with the modernization and the kind of life we are living right now, it could be a little bit challenging. And I think what we need to do as a society and as a community is to review our values. Because if we review our values and we find ourselves in a situation where we have to take care of a child, probably who's not our own biological child, then we don't, we won't feel like it's a struggle to bring them up. So my take on this one is that the caretaker has to step in and be available, fully available. Mm. Wow. Mm -hmm. 
We all know that many a time parents don't even take responsibility. This is where the caretakers or guardians play a critical role in, in providing the necessary parental guidance. We should all be truly appreciative and recognize the efforts of our caretakers. Thank you, Susan, for sharing that with us. Yeah. Over to you, Sonia. Okay. Um, that was a loaded round. I mean, there were a lot of good questions and a lot of answers that were provided in, in, in that round. And um, I mean, it just takes so much when you're empowering children, when you're when you're trying to raise children. And you know, one of the things that I find that you need to have when you're raising children is to be patient with them. And because kids tend to mock what they see you do. So when you're raising kids, um, that comes in handy. And, and, and for them to be able to see what it is that you're doing, they will follow in that path. So yeah, I, I, um, I can, I, yeah, those were, those were good answers. Um, so for the next round, Rachida, there is so many different cultures and rich diversity surrounding the East, the North, the West and South of India. Can you share with us where daughters would be empowered the most and least in these areas? Oh, you're on mute. So I was just saying it's a great question, but very difficult to answer. Because uh, even given the extreme culture, in all these four areas, there are exceptions. There are ex exceptions of being a little more forward and some cultures are forward in some different ways and some are still backward um, in many other ways. So if I were to uh, just pinpoint, I would say when uh, it comes to educationally being forward, I would say the East and the South are more forward in bringing up their daughters, uh, especially when it comes to educating them. But they are still there are restrictions uh, to a girl to what she can do and what she cannot. So even if she's a, a very educated girl, uh, whether she could be a breadwinner or whether she could even for as a hobby go and work to earn money is something that she does not have the freedom to. Mm. And then there are cultures such as North, which are totally empowering in the sense, empowering the men to totally um, kind of control the way the women folk would be raised, what they would do. Um, there is not much often importance given to educating the girls in the North. So yes, then I would say that the South and the East are more forward uh, and the West and the uh, North. But as I said, there is no, there can't be an absolute yes or a no for this particular question. So there are, there are families that are changing, there are families that are migrating. So even if they have their roots in all these areas, uh, just because they were placed differently, and they saw other society, or now that they are more uh, what we call like a cosmopolitan society, which is coming up. So there are cultural influences on all these areas and are evolving in like a better way. 
Mm. Okay. So as a follow-up question, what would you have done more to empower daughters of our nation? Well, to start with, I would have asked the nation to stop judging the girl child. Um, but um, yes, I think if you want to empower the girl, I would have shifted my uh, focus then because you know you you grow smarter as you grow older. Mm -hmm. So I would have I would have uh, focused my attention more on educating the society and the older generation to give the liberty to the girl child to live and to be what she wants to be, and also to educate uh, the the male child to how to coexist with mutual respect and kind of. Uh, how to create a more inclusive society so that uh, there wouldn't be a parity between, oh, she's a girl and, oh, he's a boy. Uh, both of them have their differences in the way they are built physically and um, emotionally. Mm -hmm. But I would, I would encourage the society to accept these changes and uh, like agree to disagree and still uh, support each other in the differences that are uh, kind of be more compatible and coexist. What a woman can do to the society, a man cannot. And what a man can do to a society, a woman cannot. So unless and until they understand and accept these differences, uh, a society cannot flourish. So what I would have done differently is to educate the people or to request the generation to be more open about accepting these differences and more inclusive in giving them the rights that they actually deserve to live a, a, a life of uh, something that they want to be. Because if you are not accepting uh, a girl child and not giving her that environment to flourish, you are actually curtailing almost 50% of your citizens. And how can you expect a nation to flourish if you are neglecting or if you are uh, kind of uh, uh, subduing 50% uh, of your citizens? Yes, yes, yes. That's good, that's good. I like how you tie that back into the world itself. You know, it's like when we uh, put these stipulations on girls, for instance, you know, you need to be thinking about what's going to happen with the country or within that country. Because sometimes um, a female's patience, and this isn't a knock on guys or anything, a female's patience is a lot calmer, their demeanor is a lot calmer than you know, when you're sending a man into a, in a, uh, into a particular situation. And when you put a woman in a position where you're, you know, you're taking away her self-esteem and, and, and you're defining her, you know, it's like you're not bringing out the best in them. And I think we as a society you know, we need to do more encouraging and putting women up front. I mean, just like today, you know, with Kamala, we need to start put bringing women to the forefront. I think they can help, you know, our country or even help the world more, more so than what people think. You know, especially when you take the time to build character, you know, you're, you're working with 
accountability and making them responsible, all these different things. You know, that's what you need to start instilling in kids while they're young, not only girls, you know, these are the things that we need to be putting in males as well. We need to be bringing them um, along as well, building them sure. up. Any comments? I one other thing that I would like to add to this is, uh, you know, commonly what I've seen is it's the woman who would put another woman down. Yes. There is this commentary which is missing. There is this, uh, you know, I cannot take away anything from you. It would not hurt. It would not hurt or harm if, you know, a woman is supporting another woman to grow the way that she wants to. It yes. is not something that you are giving away something that is your own. I think that thing of supporting each other is something which is missing. And that's why probably we are leaving those gaps to men to come in and take over. You're so right. There's a, this is silly, but it's a real queen will fix her sister's crown. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. That's one of the good ones. That's that's you all have to help each other out. And that makes you a real queen. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so well said. Okay. Okay, Natalie. Yes. In today's world, there's a lot of talk about women, equality and purity. In your opinion, how would empowering our daughters help diminish this disparity? Okay, so I'll answer that exact question at the end, but I'm gonna talk about what we need to do first. Go ahead. We need to teach our daughters to be self-thinkers. We have to teach them their voices matter. They can be anything they wanna be when they grow up, and we've all said that here. There's no gender labels on occupations, and they should know that. Um, do what they think is right and push the envelope because there's no holding back an empowered daughter. An empowered girl should be okay with the negative reactions that they may receive if they go out there and act empowered. They learn and grow from their encounters and we don't let it diminish self-worth. Um, here, here's a quote by the COO of Facebook and this is, this is really cool and I kind of like emulate this. I want every little girl who's told she's bossy to be told instead that she has leadership skills. And I think we've heard that everywhere. And, and there's, you know, negative responses around it. But I think that holds so true because the bossy little girls grow up to become leaders. Yes. Um, now, here's the answer. How will teaching all of these help diminish disparity? It's simple. Important. It's very important to teach girls to have boys and men as allies. But when these same girls grow into confident women who don't need validation from men, the disparity will be diminished. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Mic drop, right? <laughs> Whatever. Uh, okay, Susan, share with us your biggest fears when it comes to empowering daughters in today's world. Um, I, I will echo some from Natalie and some from Ruchita. Uh, in, in our context, uh, in, in the Kenyan African global context, uh, we are not where our mothers were. Our fathers sent us to school. Our daughters are accessing the equal opportunities with, the, with their male counterparts. But we're also beginning to see an imbalance if the male child is, not, is also not prepared to be able to, co to coexist with the current woman. Because the, 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 whatever our girls are doing right now, whatever our daughters are doing right now, probably it was not what our mothers did. But in the male mindset, they still have, they still want to view you the way your mother used to be. 
and you are in a different era, a different uh, time. So I think we need to empower both hand in hand so that they can both coexist um, peacefully. Then the other thing I wanted to highlight is we might not be fighting for most, you know, like voting rights and those rights that our mothers and our mothers before didn't have. But the, the modern woman is also battling with uh, modern challenges. For example, if, if you, how do you pursue your career and still manage your family, caregiving at home? Uh, everybody wants to have a family. Everybody wants to have a, a thriving career. Does the society support that? Does the community support the woman to live both uh, and achieve in both areas? I think that's a struggle that um, what the, our, our daughters are struggling with right now. And then there are some of those inequalities and that still exist. Um, Natalie, you'll be happy to know I'm a fan of uh, Cheryl. And <laughs> there's, a, there's a time uh, when I was reading in her book and then she was saying, uh, there's this quote, she says that a woman will be hired by track record while a man will be hired uh, because of his potential. I read that, but later it has happened to me so many times that I can really say it's true. We are still having some struggles as a, as a modern woman. There is still uh, issues of uh, disparities in what a woman is paid compared to this to a counterpart in the same job position. So there are still those struggles that we have our daughters have to deal with, and that's why it's important that they have to step in and and be ready to 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 fight to face them and to work through them because there is no going back. They can only go forward. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. I like that. I like that. Um, Soyam? Do you know, I can't express how blessed I am today because I'm surrounded by so many women with full of wisdom and being the youngest one here, I can only just imagine how fortunate we are, you know, to make a change in today's generation. And Susan, thank you for expressing your frankness and your fears on impacting women, empowering daughters in today's society. Richita, I have a very interesting question for you. Looking at the world today, there is a lot of drugs, alcohol, sex, and other distorters. What are your thoughts on the impact of these negative factors as we empower our daughters? It's a great question, Soyam, and it is something that is so relevant these days. And I would add one more to that, distorters, is uh, the, um, the, very, the exposure to the social media and um, the kind of games uh, that the young generations are hooked onto. They don't see a world which is out of their mobile or their laptop. So it is a very relevant question. and. What I think is that while we are bringing up children, if we, um, our influence stops at a certain age, and there comes a time that pure influence is more um, uh, kind of, you know, takes over uh, the, their personality. And that's where all these things that are around in the world comes, comes about. Again, if there is a frankness uh, in communication between 
parents and children and they talk about these kinds of things that exist in the society uh, that there are drugs there are uh, they, we, especially in india i don't know about other places but sex is a taboo and and it's not discussed between parents and children so the kind of information they get we don't even have control over that but if they are if they are taught if if they are informed that this is a need of a body just like food and water it's it's just a need of the body so then you don't take it as a taboo and when you are raising children especially daughters when they are exposed to these kinds of thing but if they have a foundation if they have an upbringing that gives more responsibility to them that tells them that the freedom comes with a lot of responsibility you need to know what you want in life you need to have a goal in life and if they can you know instill that fire to achieve that i don't think these negative influences can come anywhere closure they will have a power to say no if if that's if they have better things to look upon so whether it is a girl or a boy i feel that if they are given this um if if they are empowered with a goal in life and that ability to resist the negative uh, of peer pressure or negative of things which are uh, readily available around you know this things like drugs are, are so fluid and are so uh, spreading so fast and unfortunately what i'm more disturbed about this this generation is they feel it is all right they feel it's it's just fine i mean everybody does that so what's wrong if i do it so there should be something which is in the ed education itself that could tell them what are its effect on you how it affects your body how it affects your thinking and how it lowers uh, your self esteem and um, it will not let you be what you actually started with in life even as a child it might be very naive and everybody every child wants to be like uh, a teacher or every child wants to fly an aeroplane and when they grow that changes but if we kind of reemphasize what their goal is by the way that we communicate to them and they feel that there are better things then these uh, distortions would not matter them at all they would fly like an eagle you know they would not go and find shelter to save themselves from the rain but they will fly above the clouds uh, so i feel that is very important that we communicate to them this i have a couple questions for you um when you were talking about pregnancy um so what's the pregnancy rate in india i mean is it pregnancy rate yes so i for now if you say a lot of people are actually not wanting to have children at all they have different goals in life okay but otherwise yeah but otherwise every couple is kind of very content with having either only one or at the most two children okay and then for the for the for the young girls i mean is that something that they do or they don't indulge or 
So for many of the, uh, if I talk about the educated, uh, the girls here, it's like a joint decision between her and her husband. But when it comes to a traditional family and a very close-knit kind of a family, it's more of a family pressure. You must have children who will take our generation ahead, who will take forward our family name. So it's like a compulsion for them. And sometimes uh, they would want to stand up against that or and sometimes they give in because of the pressure uh, because otherwise they would start asking questions like, oh, are you important You're, you know, to the boy or you can't conceive, there is a fault in you. And that, then there's a social stigma to it. So. Okay. But you don't have underage teenage pregnancy or anything. That is that that is uh, really high in some parts of India, um, and which is um, changing again. But most of the most of them know. Okay. In fact, now now we are getting into a phase where there are there are problems because of late pregnancy. Okay. Okay. And then one of the other comments you made about. Um, you know, they would come back that these are the, the kids would come back and say, well, so-and-so was doing it. Why can't I do it? Do, do you know, we in America normally would say, well, if so-and-so wouldn't jumped off a bridge, would you, would you jump? I mean, is that something that you guys would say there? So then they would say that mom, try and be reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Or then they would say, Mom, take a chill pill. <laughs> uh, okay. that, that's normal. That's common. Yeah. That's common. Okay. Wow. Well, I absolutely agree with you, Ruchita, that today's social media plays a positive and a negative role in influencing girl child today. If used negatively, like social media, can also impact badly upon habits of today's youth. I also agree with you that the solution is to empower them, to say no and to teach them from an early age of how to deal with peer pressure. This is a certainly, it's a need in today's world in our modern society. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Natalie, mm -hmm. I have a question for you. What is something that absolutely everyone in the world can agree on that would help empower daughters effectively to be prepared in today's world? So I don't think it's a very easy answer, but it's an obvious one. Um, knowledge and education. That is, that's the key to empowerment all over the world. The more you know, the more you grow, mind, body, spirit, soul. Um, understand that empowerment doesn't look the same inside the home as, as outside of the home. So there has to be education around that. Um, knowledge in any facet, formal education, understanding cultural differences that can lead to comfort with the cultural diversity, empathy, and gratitude. Um, I've experienced that traveling in many different times. Um, and then you have to have a belief of no barrier to what you can accomplish in life. Um, however, that's all fine to say, but there is a challenge to all of this. And it's the access to that knowledge and education because everywhere is not equal. And we all have to do a better job of doing our part to advocate. So the solution is advocating and creating awareness around educating our girls and women around the world 
and I think Ruchita said it, um, also educating the men and the boys because they need to understand that, yeah, sure, they have a certain role, but so do their counterpart. And I say counterpart, which is a woman or a girl. Um, so I think if, you know, knowledge and, and, and education was increased, we'd be in a better place. So thanks. Wow. You're absolutely right. And I believe that a platform like this, where we have all different perspectives, is only going to gain, get us more knowledge to understand one another better. Knowledge and education is the key to success globally and also handling cultural differences in a di efficient man manner will always help. Thank mm -hmm. you for sharing that with us. You're welcome. Susan, when we talk about empowering daughters in today's world, what values are most important to you? Thank you, Sayam. Um, I, I, I'll build up on uh, some of the points that Ruchita brought about, and especially with this age and era of social media. Uh, the, the, our girls are struggling with an ideal that has been created within, by the social media that you have to look like this, your skin color should be like this, your hair should be like this. And, and our girls are really, really struggling to meet that ideal. So my first value would be develop a deep sense of identity and, and self-identity. And this can also be done through the parents, uh, you know, affirming the girls from a very young age and uh, the girls also trying to, 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 to really understand themselves, to know who they are and understand themselves. Because if you don't have a self-identity, you'll get exhausted trying to fit into different uh, expectations and different ideals, which probably are not who you are. Then the, the, the second one I would say is... Um, be compassionate to yourself. You know, growing up involves making mistakes. So compassion starts with you. Forgive yourself, be kind to yourself, love yourself. And as Natalie said in the beginning, sometimes it's about you. You cannot give what you don't have. So you have to refill before you serve the other. So be compassionate, forgive yourself. And, and also as, as you grow as a girl and as a young woman and you're trying to chart your path in life, um, whatever profession, in your family. It's important also to remember that success is not a destination. It's a journey. So enjoy every bit of the journey. Otherwise, you'll be stressed waiting for that time where you'll arrive and probably you'll never feel like you've arrived. <laughs> yeah, then um, maybe to finish, I'll also say um, it, it's a... Uh, it's important for, for the girls not to, and young women, and women in particular, don't hold back. You know, because of the way we are socializing, I think it's across the world, many times we are socialized to wait to be given an opportunity. Don't hold back, go for it, intercept, intercept that opportunity, grab it. Thank you. Wow. Yes, yes. Wow. The values mentioned by you, Susan, are absolutely vital to empower our daughters. And I absolutely agree with you that this, the first step is to ensure that they get their own self-identity, which is accompanied by being compassion. We'll 
Sonia, before we before we end this, I have one question for you. Oh, go. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go for it. <laughs> well, no, I'm sure the whole audience wants to hear from you. So let me ask you this. Okay. As a mother of adult children, what are some of the challenges you've you faced to help them lead a sustainable and empowered life? Woo. So let me think back. One of the things, you know, like when I started having kids, I have to, um, I thought about in my life what I would do differently for me if I were to raise kids. So that that that's how I started. So, and then one thing that I realized is that when you're raising kids and when you want to put something into a child, you need to start from the ground up. So basically I started when they were in the womb. I would talk to them. I would speak life into them when they were in the womb. Cause you know, they say when kids are in the, in, in the womb, they can hear you. So I would talk to them, you know, I'd tell them, you know, you're, you're made of, you know, passive, great possibilities. You're going to be this, you could do whatever you want to in life and don't let anyone tear you down. You know, I would just speak those words into them and I would read to them. And then, you know, when they were born, you know, when they were able to start pulling toys out, I'd make a game of it and have them put the toys back because to me, that's building character. And, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I, I've got this vision, how I want my kids to be. So then, um, so we, you know, we, we make games out of that. And then the next thing that I would do is that um, I would start giving them chores because now I'm trying to teach you responsibility. So along the way, I was teaching as they were as they were developing and as they were growing. And I remember um, after I had my daughter, I went back to work. And so she's she was in she was in daycare like at six months. And um, and she was walking by the time she was nine months because you know she didn't want to get her knees dirty. So anyway, um, and she really wasn't a bottle drinker per se. I, I don't know why she never really got along with milk. So she would go into daycare and um, the kids, you know, they have nap, nap time for the kids. I'm just telling you this story. So she, they would have nap times for the kids. She would never go to sleep. She would stand up in the, in the baby bed and walk around and drop milk around the baby bed. They told me not to bring bottles back anymore. And it's like, oh my God, you know, my baby's gonna start. I mean, what, what am I gonna do? So then she got to the point where the baby's asleep and she gets in her baby bed and she's jumping and she's bumping into the next baby cart. I mean, the next baby bed all the way down. So then they did, and then, and the last draw was when she went and opened up the gate and let the babies out and they all took off down the, down the hallway. And she's nine months. So they says, well, we're gonna put her in with the toddlers. And I'm crying because it's like, I've never told her or taught her how to sit in a, in, a, in a high chair and feed herself. Because when you go into the toddlers, you're feeding yourself. You know, and I'm crying and I'm thinking she's not going to make it. You know, but you forget about all the little lessons that you've taught them along the way. So she went over there and she did fine. She did fine. And the other thing, you know, like when she was, um, they started them in um, teaching Spanish at three years old. So from three years all the way through high school, you know, she, she was in Spanish. But one of the things that I taught her there was education is what's going to get you through this life. 
You know, no matter what you do, you need to be the best at what you do. So, I mean, she was in Spanish from third uh, from the time she was three years old till she was in high school. She always, um, she was a 4.3 student when she graduated because, you know, she was doing the extra, extra work as well. And um, so one of the things that I told her is that um, as you go through school, you know, you really didn't, by the time she got to college, it was, you really didn't take the time to establish a good study habit. So when you go over to college, you need to take less classes until you establish that habit. She didn't, she took a full load as well as she wouldn't got a job after I told her not to. <laughs> and, 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 and it's like, I'm like, you're, you're, you're studying, right? You're doing all these things. But what she didn't know is when she got that job, that W-240 was coming to the house. So I was gonna find out she was working. So I, I'm saying that to say she went through high school. She went through her first year of college. She went to her, you know, her master's and she's now working on her PhD. With the PhD, she's a wife, she's a mother, she's working and she's doing school. So these are the things that I was trying to instill in my kids along the way so they could make it on their own and know, you know, this is about you. Nobody can take anything from you. This is what was established in you as a, you know, from the time you were little until now. My son, on the other hand, and this is the other thing that you can't do is you can't you can't compare kids because they're different. You know, everything is going to be different about them as much as you want them to be the same. But he was totally opposite of her. I had issues with him. And, you know, one of the things that I would tell them is no matter um, what went on in your life, you need to always tell me the truth, because if you tell me the truth, I know how to address it. But he, all the way through school, he was always in something. And by the time he got to college, you know, he had a he had a child at a young age. But one of the things that happened that I had to do with him was, okay, in order to teach him, I stopped paying. You know, because through school, you know, you send him spending him money. I would get him a car to get him from A to B. You know, I send him whatever he wanted. But I said, okay, fine. So as of this point, you're no longer going to get in and um, get any more money. So for him, I had to show him tough love in order to get him to do what I needed him to do. So he went on to become a culinary chef and then he wanted to do bodybuilding. So he went on over to become a trainer and a bodybuilder. But these are things you have to figure out what works for your kids in order to get them where they need to be to empower them to do, to be able to make right decisions, to be able to be humble and, you know, and have humility, you know, to be able to be responsible and, and, and show accountability to stick to things. Because one of the other things that my daughter did through life, you know, she wanted to do gymnastics. Okay, fine, I'll let her do gym, gymnastics. She didn't finish. She wanted to play a musical instrument. I let her do that. She didn't finish. She wanted to take karate. She went all the way up to her black belt when she was supposed to test for black belt. You know, she did all the traveling, all the testing and all everything. She didn't go finish her black belt. So my thing was <laughs> time out for all this. You know, you need to be able to finish what you start. Life does not just start up and shut off. You know what I mean? So these are the things that I had to work with in order to instill and, you know, and to my kids to get to get them to where they are today. So right now her thing is she wants to be a doctor. 
That was her goal in life was to be a doctor. First it was, I want to work for the FBI. <laughs> so, so actually she, they sent her the information cool. test and everything. And I said, Angela, the one problem you're going to have with that is, you know, they're going to go out and talk to your family and friends. Not that you've done anything, but somebody in your family has. So you need to think of a backup plan. So we went from there to, you know, she wanted to be a doctor. I mean, she even went through where, um, when she was at U of M, she um, had to go in and do an autopsy on her body. And I'm like, oh, she's not going to make that because she didn't like to see her own blood. But these are things that she did in order to get to the next step. It's like, you know, you're going to learn a lesson from everything in your life. No matter how small it is, there's going to always be a takeaway. And she took something away from each step of her life. And that's how, you know, I pretty much was. It was, and, and she would always say, well, mom, I want to be like you when I grow up. I want people to work for me. I want a company car. I want, no, 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 you don't want those things. You want to do better than I did. You, 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 you use me as a, as a starting point, but you need to exceed what I accomplished. So that's my, my take on what you just asked me. So hopefully that answers your question. Wow. I'm speechless. Thank you for sharing that with us. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. So now it's just me and I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but you deserve it. You've done so much your whole life. Thank and you're an inspiration to other mothers, other women out there. And I'm really glad that we're all having this conversation today. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to learn a lot from this conversation. Thank you. And I just want to say, you know, I, I want to thank you ladies from coming for coming on being so transparent and sharing. And like I said, one of the great things about doing shows like this is because you get so many different perspectives from around the world. And, you know, I don't want it to just stop here at this point. You know, if you need something, you know, just I just think, you know, we we're, we're working on building this relationship that we could just ask each other. You know, if Susan needs to know something and she doesn't have the information, you know, I'm quite sure, you know, at this point she feels comfortable with getting with Natalie or, or <laughs> yeah. you know, with me. You know, it's like we just need to take this and make it a building block. You know, we can step into the next season with stuff like with with anything that we need. And, and that's why I like doing shows where we have uh, multiple people, because now we're learning, at, just like I said earlier. Well, looking at the different countries, well, we all have the same issues. You know, we may be handling them a little different, but other than that, everything is the same. Mm -hmm. Everything is the same. Sometimes so, you don't think so. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Natalie. Sometimes you don't think so. Right. They have it, but we all are in the same boat. We are. We are. And, you know, now I can feel comfortable in calling Rachida and says, well, okay, this is what's going on. I know you've got it over there. So just tell me how you would handle it. So yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, so I so much appreciate you taking the time out and joining Soyum and I today. And I look forward to having you again. Any Thank you so much, Sophia. Nice being with you. I just want to say I'm blessed to be here with Thank you. Thank you so much. Today. I'm sorry, go ahead, Natalie. Okay, I was just going to say I'm blessed and to be here with you, strong women today. I feel like eventually we could rule the world, so that's pretty exciting. Yes, um, yes we can. 
keep in contact and I hope this conversation helps um, girls and women around the world. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. Susan? Yeah, I'm really great to have met all of you. It's, 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 it's really a timely conversation for our daughters and women around the world. And uh, as you said, uh, Dr. Sonia, I think we should continue encouraging, supporting and working with each other to empower the girls and women around us. And just to say, I'm also very inspired and excited because I think Kamala Harris has also shown us again today that we can break the glass ceiling. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. very encouraging and inspiring for women and girls all over the world. Ratita. Yes, it was amazing being here. And as you rightly said, that women will be women. As far as uh, she can uh, bear a child, she's always going to be looked upon that someone that you cannot rely on if it comes to working scenario. And uh, on the other side, we say, oh, um, mother is a fact and father is uh, like a myth. So there are always going to be uh, things told about women. But if we all stand together uh, and, and prove the world, uh, as uh, Suzanne rightly said, that she needs to have track record, let's build one together. Okay. And Soya. No, this was just an amazing, amazing conversation. I would like to thank all of you for participating. And also thank you to Dr. Sonia for also allowing me to co-host with you. I think everything has been said. I don't have much to say. The only thing I can leave is that today's empowered daughters are tomorrow's empowered women. So let's go and help them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who joined us today. I will see you next week. And Soyum, I will see you next month. And I'll see you ladies behind stage. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.